Like so many, I grew up as a latchkey kid. On my better days, I would walk to school and then walk home. And let me tell you how much I wanted to ride a school bus until I actually did. But oh man, it looked so glamorous. But I never lived that far from school. So I always had to walk and walk home. And usually I remembered my key. And sometimes I spent those Alaskan afternoons on the porch till my dad came home. So on those days when I remembered my key, I would go and let myself in and get a little something to eat and watch TV. And, um, and I'm not terribly embarrassed to say that I was kind of a weirdo. And I like to watch things that maybe most kids don't necessarily watch. And looking back, I think that I mostly was looking for myself. I was watching TV and I was looking for people who had stories like mine. Many of you met my mom a couple weeks ago. My mom is a Korean immigrant. She came in the 1970s, and so I am biracial and bicultural. And so I was always watching TV to see if there were stories like mine. There were people who looked like me. So one of my go-tos was MASH, the 1970s show, the military, and you know, Korean War. So, I watched that show on the edge of my seat, and about twice a season, they would have some Korean people, Korean people, um, who would interact in the story somehow. And I promise you, they never used one actually Korean extra in that show ever. Um, I always listened for Korean words, and it was always Korean words said by other Asian folks. So I was always, a little disappointed, always looking for myself. The truth was, though, that that was not a story about Korea. That was a story about the American military in Korea, right? And that is true of so many of the Asian stories that we lived with then and really honestly now. So stories like, um, movies like The uh, Big Trouble in Little China about a supernatural uh, Chinese gang or um, The Golden Child, which was about um, a child that had been kidnapped. Um, but really those stories, while they were under Asian context, were stories about um, Kurt Russell, who was rushing in to rescue women who had been kidnapped, or Eddie Murphy, who was rushing in to rescue this child. So those stories were Asian, kind of, but not really. And also, there's all the extra characters that are in our media that are also one-dimensional Asian, so, um, oh, that really, really uh, cringe-worthy character from Sixteen Candles, who was an exchange student, or um, the Japanese, Japanese baseball player from Major League, um, Data from Goonies. So there's the, all these characters that I was so excited about, but also didn't necessarily look like my experience of the world and of Asian culture. And then, when I was in high school, the Joy Luck Club came out. And finally, there was a story that looked an awful lot like mine. It was the sort of story that made me sit and weep in the movie theater. My family did not leave Korea in um, scary circumstances the way that the women in the Joy Luck Club did. But the Joy Luck Club is about women and their daughters 
um, their daughters either were born in the States or grew up in the States. And so there are these stories of these moms, these driven moms who are pushing their daughters to do best, always to do best, so that they have the best chance in their lives. These are the world, this is the world that they push their daughters toward, right? High achieving. And also these stories about these women between whom there was a chasm of experience, right? The women who grew up in China in a tough time and the women who grew up in the United States in a really vastly different way. And it was so, such a relief to see my story on the screen. It, it normalized my experience in a way that I, I didn't know I had been looking for. And um, it was a story that I could hold up to my friends. So my friends in high school weren't like running to see the Joy Luck Club in the movie theater. But it was a story that I could hold up and show my friends and say, this is why I cry when I get a B. Right? <laughs> because now I have to tell my mom about it. It was really centering and grounding for me to, to fit into a narrative somewhere, to have representation somewhere to belong in a place. And it was people like me, people who were looking for belonging, that Jesus in his ministry went around and collected up. The sinners, the people who were oddballs and outcasts, the people who did not fit into that society, that's who Jesus went to collect. And in this time, in the season of Easter, we get a whole bunch of readings from Acts, and we do year-round, but specifically in Easter, we get readings from Acts every week. And that's because the Acts of the Apostles are, take place right after Jesus' death, right after Jesus is executed. And so this is the story of the beginning of the church, which will become this cathedral. This is, this is our heritage. This is where we come from. And that story leads to this story, to all of us being in this place, right? So this is the story that we look back on and we read and we reread because this is us, in a sense, figuring out how to follow Jesus and what it means to lead people to follow Jesus. And so here is Peter and he's praying and he gets this vision of animals bringing a sheet down and the spirit says, kill them and eat them. You heard it, right? Kill them and eat them. So my ear in 2022 hears this um, humorously because I'm not a grown up, I guess, but it's this really strange thing to hear the spirit say, kill it and eat it. But for Peter, he hears this and it is the spirit telling him to do a thing that for his whole life, he has been avoiding. He has spent his whole life honoring the law, and the law says you don't eat unclean animals. This would not be unlike the spirit telling one of us to eat horses and dogs. This is so outside of what Peter imagines, and Peter, uh, I'm, I'm sure Peter is totally disgusted. How, why would you tell me to eat these things? And then, the Spirit says, what, I, what God has made clean, don't call profane. And so it is in that moment when Peter is sort of working through the oh my gosh of this situation, when 
three men from Caesarea come, and, they, and Peter gets it. It all goes together. Because the Spirit is saying you don't need to abide by those laws anymore. This is a new day, and it has changed. And now here are these three people who are outside, who wouldn't have been inside, who the Spirit sends. And Peter gets it. It makes sense. And so Peter goes with these folks. Suddenly, who, the who of the story becomes very clear. And the sense of belonging gets shared beyond the chosen. In fact, the boundaries of the chosen become invisible. Suddenly, Jesus' ministry of showing us this is what the world looks like when every single person belongs, becomes the work of the people. The people have to then live into everyone belonging. So I'm going to invite you to do a weird thing. If it's outside your comfort zone, it's okay. You can do it quietly to yourself. We are Episcopalians, for God's sake. <laughs> but I'm going to invite you to say to yourself, I belong. Ready? Inside your head or out loud? I belong. I belong, right? And this is the next step. So before we go there, I will say, I belong is the, the period. That's the full stop. That's the end of this sentence. Through Jesus, we all belong, no matter who we are or where we are. In a minute, Matthew will invite us to communion. He will invite all of us to communion, no matter where we are on our faith journey. We are all full members of the body of Christ. I belong is a complete statement. But here's the call part, right? The call part. This is, I think, in some ways the harder part, although I think both parts are actually quite hard to both believe that I belong and I want you to look around at the people around you and to look at me and if you're comfortable, say, you belong. You belong. Amen. We all belong. We all belong. And the hard part of this is, one, to believe in my soul. It's funny that I point at my belly and my soul. Uh, yikes. In my soul. <laughs> it's hard to believe that in my soul I belong, that I am Jesus's and God's absolute favorite, and you are too. But then also to believe that you are also God's favorite and that you also belong as much as I do. Because if I believe that, I have to treat you as God's most beloved. And that is maybe the hardest thing that we do as Christians. But imagine this. Imagine a world in which we look around and in every encounter and in every face and in every person that we meet, we can look them into the face and believe wholeheartedly that you belong, that I belong and you belong. Imagine, whew, this is one I'm struggling with today, but imagine how the situation in Buffalo yesterday could have been different if that young man had understood that he belongs, that he belongs to us and he belongs to God and that we belong to him and we belong to God. 
Imagine how yesterday could have been a boring, who cares, no news kind of day. That is the world that we are called to, the world that we live in. That is what it means to be Christian, to follow the way, to follow our leader who loved every single person as if they were full members, as if we all fully belonged to God. On my better days, I can live into the idea that God includes me all the way, even when I'm not necessarily represented in all the ways that I hope to be represented. And on my better days, I can recognize that the people around me are also members, also belong, also have the full rights of all of us. And I wonder if even one day a week, if just occasionally we all treated the world around us, the people we encounter, the clerks and the people on the street and the people at work, as if they were full members, as if they fully belonged, how our world would be different how Northwest Portland could be a different place. This is within our grasp. But we first have to recognize that we belong, belong to God and to one another, and that you all belong to us and to God. Amen.